Hi, welcome to Inside Creativity. I'm Savi Ma. And I'm Mark. I love that part. <laughs> and we're so eager to share this time tonight with our special guest and dear friend, Theodore Saplina. I pretty much feel like Ted's, well, he's like creativity incarnate. I think I wrote that in one of the posts before the show. I truly feel like what he's the perfect person to have at, for our first show of Inside Creativity because Ted just exudes it from the word go. He's amazing and I just feel like it's super perfect that he's here with us tonight. So we met Ted in the fall of 2018 at a Mantra Music Fest. Now, some of you who are here may or may not know what that is, and that's for another show entirely. But just know that it's a super, super high vibe, awesome thing where there is sacred world and sacred mantra music that gets played for an entire weekend. And some people do yoga too. But me and Ted, we pretty much just hang out in the music parts. <laughs> and it was such an amazing event. It filled us all up. And it was from that moment on that I was like, meeting Ted was probably one of the biggest highlights of the entire weekend. And I couldn't wait to explore more ways that we were going to continue to connect and how we could do music together. Ted really liked our brilliant bliss music, which is awesome. It speaks to him because our songs are very earth connected and great spirit involved. And we just wanted to play more together. So we've continued to look for fun ways for us to do that. And we invited Ted to our Soul Family reunion in 2019 to be a big part of our opening ceremony. This happens on the summer solstice. It was beautiful. And Ted offered a classical Indian set that was amazing. It was like transcendent. We were all in heaven. It was amazing. And ever since that time in summer of 2019, which right now, I don't know about you guys, but seems like lifetimes ago, Whew, <laughs> what a ride. But ever since that fall, or summer of 2019, when we did Soul Family Reunion here at the Sanctuary together, we've looked for as many ways as possible to get creative and collaborate. Oh gosh, Ted has so much to share with us tonight, so it's time for me to stop talking and bring our guest in um, so that he can start talking with us. His connection with music and instruments is vast. He's going to tell us the most amazing stories. I can say what an honor it is to have been invited to his house. Walking in is like walking into a music instrument museum, only it's a live experience. Ted's like, and this is this. I mean, look where he's sitting. Look at all these things he's going to tell us about that's that are behind him. And he picks up every instrument as if he's been playing it for lifetimes. And it's, oh, it's just crazy amazing. So it is such an honor to bring Theodore Saplina into the room with us tonight. Ted, thank you so much for being with us. Can you give us some words around what creativity is for you and how that has been such a flow in your life? I think creativity is my food. Um, if I'm not thriving in the arts, and I wouldn't even say just the arts, creativity can be so many things. It can be the gardening that I do or this act of cleaning a house can be creative for, you know, when you consider it in life. And if you, if you look at things that way, there's more beauty in what you do. And so I found at a very early age, whenever I enriched myself in that way to just do things with my hands or, you know, what I felt in here, it just, life is all the more worth living. 
So even from a young age, like that's just where I've always been. I, I have to be creating something wow. to keep, keep this pursuit of life going on. I love <laughs> that's that. What, so you say from a very young age, what does that mean for you? I mean, what's young for to have that kind of awareness where you are literally aware that you are a creator? Honestly, I think I was about like six when I first really got into music, Actually, probably earlier. My uncle and aunt, they had lived in Europe for a while and got me this little wooden xylophone and uh, like a keyboard, you know, very early, like almost like a pump organ, actually. Mm. And I just spent almost all my childhood until I upgraded to adult instruments, <laughs> you know, playing with those. And it was such a fulfilling thing. And I would go out into the my mom's garden and just like rearrange things and like try to make sculptures out of leaves and flowers so like even you know as a kid i just always saw like this relation of space and sound and how you can manipulate it to like bring yourself joy wow that's so <laughs> amazing i mean from the age of six to have that awareness and obviously not only in the realm of musical creativity but just in any way that you're you could perceive it that's super yeah because cool. i think it's always i i think people i shouldn't say this because it's, it's an assumption, but I feel that like a lot of people assume creativity is only associated with the arts. Like, and I, I think that's really a, a disservice to other, you know, other people like science is such a creative endeavor and industry is creative, you know, like just some working in construction side, you, you have to be creative in how you, how you do your job every day. And, and that's that. how they find their own joy is how, you know, they, they create this cycle as they do their work to bring enrichment that. into it. I love that so much. You're doing my job for me. I was going to like poke around and dig a little deeper, like, <laughs> come on, creativity is about more than, you know, just painting a painting or making a sculpture or making music. Um, and one of the things that oftentimes comes through around here, around creativity, is for people who don't think that they are creative, like they don't think that there's a creative bone in their bodies, one of the things that we talk about is if you think about it, creativity is just energy in motion. It's a generating <laughs> force. So if you're breathing, you're creating. And that makes every single being on this planet that's alive, a sentient being, we're breathing, therefore we're creating. We are in creation. We are working with a generating force. And so I love that when people say to me, I don't feel very creative, I say, well, do you breathe? And then they're very confused, but they're also present because that throws them off a little bit. And they say, well, yeah, of course I breathe. That's creation. It's beautiful. And from that point, then each person in their own uniqueness can discover, well, how am I expressing my creativity? So I love what you just brought to the table, Ted. That's awesome. I mean, when you look at it in its raw form, we have our raw thoughts and as soon as you start curating or shaping them, that's creativity. That's you, the artist, shaping your reality. Yeah. And Where do you I think, think those raw thoughts come from? They're just there with us, you know. And I think we choose to channel them. We choose to ignore some, pull others in. And, and I think what makes art different is art is taking that thought process that you're channeling and you're trying to now express in a way that others can hear it as well. Mm. I mean, we're obviously, as a musician, I play for myself, but 
these ears are a judge and in a way it's creating, you know, a, a sound form that other people can hear like, oh, this is my creative process. Hmm. That's, that's powerful. I love it. Take us all the way back. You mentioned this xylophone, like almost pump organ situation that you had when you were little. <laughs> Take us back to more of what that looked like earlier on in your childhood as music started to develop as a part of your creative expression. Like what other instruments were first on the path? I know I've heard one story that maybe everyone here hasn't heard that I hope you share, but yeah. whatever you feel to share. Um, so the piano was definitely the gateway drug, as I call it. Um, I think for a lot of musicians, piano and violin are kind of the, the gateway. It's one of those two. And I just remember as a kid, my grandma had this wonderful old upright piano and I would just reach my hand up and, you know, I would hear songs in my head and I would just peck them out on the piano. I learned to play by ear little by little. And it, I just loved doing that. My grandma would occasionally play something and then I would try to, you know, mimic that. And so they saw this in me and, and between my parents and my grandparents, they got me into piano lessons and that kind of shaped my future as a musician. Um, you know, I thing with, instruments is you may start with one but you always can find another it, the main thing is just go get into the get into the room with music and see where it see where it guides you because I've been on like a cruise for the past 20 something years still trying to find my final destination but, well isn't um, it a good thing that that's not the point of life right there's really no final destination we just stay cruising the whole time and you're yeah. cruising, like I said in the beginning, just walking through your house, just looking behind you. And I know you're going to introduce us to some of those amazing instruments. So how old were you when these piano lessons started? I think I was about seven or eight. And it was at a music store in Stevens Point, my hometown, at uh, Jim Lobbs, <laughs> which back then in the 90s was a much bigger music store. And it was it was really cool because they had all different sections and they also had a lot of instruments from around the world too. Um, and I was fortunate like that they had um, what we now call the Native American style flute. They had a whole rack of these flutes and to me they were just magical looking and I had no idea how they sounded. I, you know, I had played the recorder in like, was it first grade or kindergarten? And so I could recall, you know, the concepts of a flute that way. But when I saw this flute, it was just, such a journey and it was just this pvc you know green plastic flute but as really? a kid i just thought that was so cool looking and you know it, it doesn't take much to influence your grandparents and grandma <laughs> who had picked me up from my piano lesson let me pick that flute out and take it home and that that weekend was just like all the ducks were in a row all the cards were in the deck because all these things fell into place that made me who I am now. Uh, yeah, that's, um, <laughs> I wrote that in some of my notes, Ted. I feel like from all the stories that you've told me since we met each other, more of which we'll hear tonight, I just feel like everything in your life has been this beautiful, like it's really powerful to witness how right place, right time, like the teacher, there's that saying, when you're ready, the teacher appears, and your life has been filled with serendipitous moments like that. Tell us another one of those. So stemming from that, getting that first flute, like that very weekend, I brought it to my grandparents' house, you know, because I was staying over. And I was, I was already making music on it because it was very familiar to me. 
And there's something just like organic about it. it just felt natural to play that instrument. But that night, my grandma, we have these magnificent photo albums in our family. Um, one of our relatives lived on, um, they lived in Lame Deer, Montana on a Cheyenne reservation. They'd worked at a general store there in like the 1800s. And so we have like a massive stack of these wonderful photo albums of photos that she took and, and that she would get from other photographers. And my grandma opened this up and, and pulled out a picture of this flute player that was in the photo album. Probably that would be, I would guess late 1890s, early 1900s was when that photo was taken. And um, it was just incredible because as a kid, you know, you have this plastic flute here, but it gives you a connection to the past that this instrument came from. And I was just like in awe. It just was magical. And, and so it continued though, like, so the next day, my grandma in Stevens Point, we have a natural history museum at, at University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point. And so they have a lot of um, biological specimens, but they also have an anthropology collection they'll put out on display. And my grandma took me there um, and she pointed, you know, in one of the display cases, there was a lot of um, like Plains Indian regalia and other artifacts. And there's a flute on the wall. And she had mentioned, it's like, oh, the year after you were born, I donated that to the museum. Wow. And so, like, you know, this flute had been in the family, you know, like when my mom was pregnant with me, she was in the same room with this ancient flute. And I have to wonder if that, you know, like its energy was just pushing me in that direction. But I just remember looking at it and it was this magnificent old Cheyenne flute, like dark brown and it had this really cool elk carving on the what we call the block of the flute. Wow. And it just brought everything, to, it just drilled it home even more, like how, how cool this is. Like music isn't, it, it's everywhere, you know what I mean? There's cultures that go with it. And at that age, that kind of helped introduce me to that concept. Yeah, and that's really all of that. Thank you, Ted. That was so beautiful. And I really think about, like there's all different kinds of musicians, right? There's all different kinds of music. But for you, your path right from the start was sort of opened up into this world sphere, less about mm -hmm. what, you know, music is created right around what we're used to in our local culture. But right from the start, indigenous music and world music were just literally like crossing the threshold, running right into your arms. It's like the way of the Hawaiian navigator is that you don't have to move at all. You just stand in the presence of who you are and everything you need comes to you. It's the way of the navigator. And I feel like that's how you are. You're like this mighty like beacon and everything that needs to be attracted to you finds its way. So you find your way into world music when some of us as adults go through entire life, our entire lifetime not even knowing that that exists. So I want to say thanks to your grandparents for supporting you in the way that they have and, you know, for helping all of this to come alive in you. I have no question, like, uh, I could go on and on, but I just, there's so much amazingness on your path. And if all human beings could be as open and receptive as you've been to allowing those gifts and teachers in, wow the many immensity of amazingness that would be happening for all of I us. Think, I think the secret I've noticed in myself is the seven-year-old me isn't gone. 
I never have lost that sense of awe when I find, you know, new music or new art form or anything in life, you know, my other half can testify to it that when I find something, I just go for it. I don't, I don't just do a little bit of it. I go all out. I, I can't help it. It's some people could say it's a psychological disorder. I think it's a blessing because <laughs> it just, it keeps me alive and ticking. I can and, see your other half in the gallery um, <laughs> smiling, <laughs> and, giving his nods of, yep, that's it. <laughs> and yeah, world music, like I didn't understand the concept when I knew about the indigenous, you know, North American flutes, but it was only a couple of years later we had, um, we had our first computer. I think this is like 1994, 1995, so a long time ago. And, but it had this really cool like encyclopedia where you could, you know, click on things and hear a sound or watch a small video. And my favorite thing was, (laughs) it was this map of instruments from around the world. And so, I would click them and I heard the, well, there's actually a precursor to that too, but I heard this one sound and it was the sitar from India. Mm. And that just like, oh, that, it just opened up a can of worms. That that was dangerous. (laughs) But a very beautiful can of worms. So that's another one. The sitar comes into your life when you're still very, very young. Again, Mm. most adults hear the word sitar and they wonder, I don't know, is that food? What, like, what, what is that? You have instruments in your house that have names that none of (laughs) us have ever heard before. Yeah. And sitar is kind of I hate to call it a guitar, but it's a stringed instrument from India that predates the guitar as we know it. And it's fashioned from a, a giant gourd. And it, it's magnificent because it has these strings called sympathetic strings that resonate when you play it, kind of like this instrument over here has. Um, and it's just, it's a sound unlike anything we have in Western music. And it wasn't just the instrument that captured me. Like Indian music was so radically different than anything else I heard in my life. And I think it was the perfect thing to find at that age because it guided me and everything I found in my life has gone back to that connection to Indian music, even Mm. like polka music that, you know, the fact I play that, that the Indian music got me there. It's, it sounds crazy, but (laughs) these are um, the stories I love. I'm like, what? Like I'm from Wisconsin. I know the polka thing. How does that come from India, Ted? Yeah. And, and so I think having that connection to Indian music, you, um, I got involved with cultural festivals, you know, because it's, it's kind of a novelty growing up in a small, in a small community to, to be a sitar player. And, and then being a part of our, our cultural festival we have in Stevens Point, I got to see, you know, like all these other kinds of music from around the world and start to realize that something from our own backyard is still world music, you know, like... Yeah we have a unique form of concertina that's only played in the upper Midwest here. It, it, it doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. And when I started to see things like that, it now, drives now wait, it home. Ted, what, what is a concertina? Um, so people always ask, what's the difference between a concertina and an accordion? They both have bellows. Um, the key is in the name, chord. So an accordion, on this side, you can have piano keys or buttons. You'll find both. But on the left side, it's always buttons. And when you push certain buttons, they play chords, hence accordion. Whereas a concertina, any button you push only will play a single note. Uh-huh. 
So um, my thought is you might have to be even more skilled to play a concertina. In a way, it, it depends on what kind. The, um, the one that we play here in the upper Midwest, they call Chemnitzer concertina. And it's a remarkable sounding instrument. But when people ask me, what is it like? And I'm like, well, for starters, you have 52 buttons and 104 notes. And, and how do you how do you do that? Yeah. So you have different notes on the push, different notes on the pull. And I always tell people it's basically a box like a snow globe. You just shake it vigorously and wherever those notes land, that's it. And it's like learning it's like learning to type on a keyboard, you know. Is there really logic to it? They say there is. But we just go by muscle memory and that's that's how you learn these instruments. Said the really, genius. I, I feel like really any instrument, if you have if you have the song up here, you need the song up here. And there, if you have that, you can do it on anything. There's a there's a famous Cajun musician, Mark Savoie. He's a brilliant musician, like one of my musical heroes, and um, he's he says often, don't buy the typewriter until you know the words. In other words. <laughs> um, same things go that goes for music, you know, like get familiar, learn the melodies in your head and then go to the typewriter and, and start playing it because that's what accordions look like. Wow, that's <laughs> so amazing. So I know already that there is no way we're going to go around the world with Theodore Saplina tonight and cover everything we want to cover <laughs> in a red hot minute. So we're definitely going to have to have you back because I think we should do a whole show on your how many accordions or... Oh. <laughs> I, I, I'm honing it down. I see um, your partner shaking his yeah. head. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to stay focused. <laughs> I, my my recent love, you know, when I I I discovered the accordion through Mexican music, actually. Wow. Um, I when I was in high school, I went to an antique store and they had this old accordion, and on the weekends we had uh, like a Tejano. Uh, music station. Tejano is kind of like Tex-Mex music. You, it's, a, it's a particular genre, though, the way they play. And I called them and I asked the, the radio host, like, if I could um, copy some of the CDs and stuff. And he was so cool about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, and th you know, there's a band in town. If you play accordion, like, you should go meet these guys. And so that, that began Ted, the accordion player. I, I got one for Christmas that year, but going to this rehearsal for this band, you know, they, I get there and they're like, oh, well, you need to play the accordion with buttons because there's different kinds of accordions. And so <laughs> lo and behold, I'm like, okay, well, now I've got to get one of these. And, and how does, a, you know, a kid in his early teens do that? He finds another accordion repair guy to work for, to work off an accordion. <laughs> um, but, but what ultimately happened is through that switching to this button accordion and working for this accordion maker, I found my initial teacher who was a, a, a German guy named Norbert Bredel, and he played the traditional instrument they, they call harmonica or ziach is the other name for it. Wow. But in Bless the U.S., you. yeah. <laughs> so in the U.S., the, the instrument, the way we played is radically different than over in Austria and Germany. The American playing is really influenced by Slovenian music and jazz, out of all things. Um, but I was fortunate that my first influence was a German player that played more in a traditional manner for, you know, Bavaria and Austria. Wow. But yeah, I found him all just 
you're hearing different kinds of world music. And that was, that was something in my backyard that I found. Oh my goodness. It amazes <laughs> me that there's room for two human beings and two beautiful felines in your house with everything else <laughs> that I know is there. So let's come back to the flutes, Ted, because mm -hmm. I want to make sure that we have ample time to talk about that. I know a lot of the people that wanted to be with he us here tonight are very interested. Some of them probably even have some of your flutes, I'm guessing mm -hmm. and thinking. So um, take us down that road. Tell us, I know you, you mentioned um, the early on part in your life and how they first became introduced to you. Um, but how did, how did, and we'll, we want to play some music too. So take us down the beginning of that road a little bit more. Um, yeah. And show us some of those beauties that are behind you. <laughs> and then, and then we'll play some music. And after that, we'll get into a little bit about this building process. Cause you actually mm -hmm. make these flutes, not only play their beautiful music. Yeah, I can definitely, I'll pick up you know, like the story when I got my first flute. So that weekend, my grandma took me to the museum and in the afternoon, my grandpa and I went on a walk. And um, that was the day he showed me with a pocket knife, how to just take a whistle or make a whistle out of a piece of willow. And I, I it kind of ignited this, wait, you can make these things. Wow. Never before as a kid did I realize, oh, maybe you can make instruments. So my grandpa would help me, you know, kind of tinker with things whenever I wanted to make something. And he took all these old bamboo fishing rods and um, the first ones weren't so good. So they're, but they weren't really finished instruments. My first finished flute, I actually still have. I made it when I was 12. Oh my gosh. And um, it's, it's made out of a fishing rod that my grandpa fished with, you know, like back in the, I guess, fifties or sixties. And um, you can just yeah. take a piece of, <laughs> yeah fishing rod and turn it into a flute yep it's just a hollow piece of I bamboo mean, you and you basically bust the nose out of and the way I, I figured out how to make this is I took that green flute that I got from the music store and just I I learned by just copying what I see wow and so as a 12 year old kid I, I took my little wood burner you know which which is kind of cool because professional makers, they burn the holes in. Oh that's, my gosh. that's the most popular so, way. So, so the audience <laughs> no is idea. saying, play, play, please play. Can you play a little so, of that? Yeah. So this is, it's radically different from um, the flutes that I make now, because this is kind of based on the modern Native American flute. And um, I'll, sh I'll show you kind of the difference between the two. I, I can that. give you some, some eye candy. Um, so this, it has like a very soft skill, but I still love this thing. Cipollina. Wow. A flute that he made when he was 12 out of his grandpa's fishing rod. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, keep going, Ted. Show us so, some more and play some more. So the, the Native American style flute, which is what 99.999% of the players and makers are, you know, associated with, is really a modern instrument. So 
we had these older indigenous flutes that existed with um, a continuation of makers, even up into the 70s. There was some very well-known makers like Richard Fulbull and Dan Red Buffalo, Ira Cuthair. These are all indigenous makers. The tradition was underlying, but it wasn't accessible to the outside world. So a man by the name of Michael Graham Allen, um, he's definitely the, the godfather of the modern flute. He knew of these, he measured them, he went to museums, but he's like, what if I make these with a, a more modern scale so they're easier for people to play? And, and he did just that. So my first flute was part of that lineage because he had influenced a maker named Rick Heller. Rick Heller made the first flute I had, um, but Michael's kind of, his flutes are what started this, this eruption of these, you know, the Native American style flute. And I think it's, it's a great instrument to get started. Um, it, it doesn't take too much to play it, and it's so forgiving. Um, it, it's easier than a recorder. Like when you play a recorder, it just squawks, and it's so hard to, you know, if you're not familiar with flutes, it can sound terrible. Whereas the Native American style flutes, they just sound beautiful no matter what you do with them. Show us and more, so, show us more. So what, um, I actually have one of Michael's flutes, but ironically, it's not in the scale that he started but I have a flute by one of his protégés named John Norris that has this, um, um, my cat's blocking the screen, so I think you guys can see <laughs> yeah, it here. See. Um, so this has the, the fingering that Michael came up with. And what he had done is taken the Japanese shakuhachi, which has a pentatonic minor scale, and put it onto the body of a indigenous North American flute. So it's kind of a hybrid. Um, but his rationale behind that was it just, easier to play. It's an instantly gratifying scale. I mean, it sounds beautiful. So the modern flutes have this scale to them. a very soft sound and that's that's intentional it's like that's the character of this more modern instrument and then the easiest way to demonstrate the older flutes is just to show you some of the replicas that i make so this is a a replica of a ho-chunk flute um, the ho-chunk are an indigenous group that are from here in the upper midwest and i would say the original is probably 100 120 years old at this point and um the indigenous way of making it is more ratio. There, you don't concert tune the instrument. You're not trying to hone it in to match Western instruments, so to speak. It's kind of like what um, uh, Sitting Bull said. We sing in between the cracks of the piano. And that's how these old flutes are. They fit in between the notes. But mm. they have such a raw, like, organic sound. And you can hear it.
that low sound you hear. I don't know if anyone could hear that. Is it loud enough? Okay, good. Yeah, it was um, beautiful. That low sound is called the warble. All I'm doing is just giving it a bit of breath. And that mimics the vocalist. When a vocalist is singing the songs that affiliate with these flutes, usually at the beginning of a phrase, they'll go, I, 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 I. Like it's a, that warble kind of is there. But it also reminds me of the, the origin story of the flute, that it came from a woodpecker pecking holes into a branch, and then the wind blew across it. And I, whenever I hear the warble, it makes me think of a woodpecker, just, you know, pecking aggressively wow. at a piece of wood, that, that rhythm. Yeah. So this is where the old flutes were. You know, they, they look like this. I have one that's a replica of a... I mentioned um, Richard Fulbel, the, the maker that was around until I think it was 1976. This is a replica of his style flutes. He always made them fashioned out of a duck head. And um, his flutes don't have the warble, but they have this amazing sound that fills a room. So. So these these flutes are important to my development as a maker. Um, I knew about the modern flutes, and I didn't discover the old flutes. Even though I knew about the old family one, I didn't realize what made them different. I didn't really understand that until I was about 18 when oh, I heard my first old flute. Yeah. yeah, that's when I first yeah. heard one of these old flutes played, and I discovered um, Kevin Locke, who's a wonderful indigenous player of these instruments. Mm. And when I heard that sound, I'm like, I need to get one of these flutes. How do I get one of these flutes? And I was fortunate. Um, there were some flute makers in my hometown. And so one of them, we went through like a trading post because he had to go sell some stuff there. And I found my first, I guess, old as an old style flute there. And that ended up being a flute made by my, my main teacher, Louis Webster. And it's, um, let's see if I can pull it out here. It's this flute which is, um, you might be able to see, it's crafted to look like a deer hoof. Oh my and God. so I found this beautiful thing just in a pile of modern flutes was this one anomaly, this one old style flute. And um, this became like instantly became my favorite flute because it had a sound that no other flute had. And, um, and so I remember it had this gaudy piece of leather on it and I peeled it off. I'm like, this doesn't belong here. And it didn't because underneath was the signature Louis wow. Webster. Wow. And I, I asked a few friends and I'm like, who, who is this person? And they're like, well, he had passed away, but you know, he, he was a Oneida Menominee maker of flutes. And I'm like, I need to, I need to find someone that knew him. And so I called the office on the Oneida reservation. They're like, Oh no, he's around. Oh my Here's his phone number. <laughs> and so I think it was within a week I was at his house and thus the journey began with Louis. You know, I had made some flutes, obviously, you know, going back to my childhood ones, but I'd never made them the old way, like following the old methods of making them. And Louis was just like the perfect mentor and like how serendipitous is it that 
in my own backyard, you know, I was able to find such a gifted musician and flute maker to guide me. Wow. This is what I mean, everyone who is listening. Just take that in. This is a person who has dedicated his life to allowing his creativity to flow, for allowing the spirit of his passion to really rise up. And when we say yes to those kinds of things, that's when everything we need in our life shows up. These teachers found their way to Ted because he they needed to. Somewhere out in the universe, the signals were connecting in such a way to bring you together with your teachers and to bring you together with this uh, this part of you that holds and continues to share the stories um, of the indigenous peoples. And I think my mission is to just highlight the indigenous flute versus the modern Native American style flute. Mm -hmm. And that's what Louis was to me. He was the first maker that I met that was making them in this old way. And the traditional way of learning to build these instruments is just you copy, you you imitate your master mm -hmm. and you build one and then they'll look at it and kind of guide you and, and tell you how, where to change things, not necessarily to push you to be exactly like them, to push you to be yourself, mm -hmm. you know? And obviously he was a huge influence though, because when you look at my instruments, they look a lot like his, mm -hmm. um, but, I learned a lot from him that way, copying his flutes. But again, going back to these, one of my first flutes, you know, in my late teens was a Richard Fulbull flute. So I spent a lot of time replicating his work. Right. And then early on in my journey, I found an old Ho-Chunk flute. So again, I replicated that flute. And I found after replicating all these makers, I found all the things that I liked, you know, in these indigenous flutes to come up with my own style, my own way of making them. Mm. And it's really unfortunate because it's a tradition that's, you know, lost to all but a few of us that are still keeping it alive. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, it's, I think it will make a resurgence, you know, but right now it's just a few of us that are custodians of it. And I think part of it is people are apprehensive because it's not concert tuned. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not tuned to a piano. The, the way these flutes work, it's a ratio. You just put the holes in. I mean, there's, there's a method to the madness, but you're not tuning each individual note like the strings on a piano. You know, there, there's some fluctuation and we use our breath to kind of bring in tuneness into the instrument. Yeah, and, but, um, but you can play the instrument with other musicians like you did with us, right? You created <laughs> the flute that you created, well, several of them, but you've played <laughs> on four of our recordings that re we released earlier in the year. And... Um, Thank you. Uh, and so are those flutes like the way that you're describing or are those flutes? Absolutely. That you, okay. So, so they are the beautiful. ones that I record with are, again, the out of tune, you know, traditional indigenous flutes from, from mm. around here. Mm. But the breath can, can push them in different directions and I can shape them to, to work with modern instruments. Mm. And I like that quality because you don't necessarily blend in, but in a good way. Like it, it doesn't stand out like a sore thumb. It sounds really cool. Oh, it sounds like here's this natural object you just throw into the sea of perfectly digitized and tuned instruments. Wow, yeah. And and I I don't really play the the modern flutes. In fact, the only reason I have this one is simply because then I can help people get started if they have a modern flute. 
you know, this is a good way to begin, mm-hmm. a little bit easier to grasp as a, as a beginner. So I keep this around as an example to kind of help people get their grounding as they begin to play. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I contact you, Ted, because you do, you make flutes for people. They can buy mm-hmm. flutes from you on your website and you do a lot of custom order things. Can you tell us a little bit, and then I think we should play one of the um, tracks. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about when somebody comes to you and says, I want a flute, but I have no idea what to ask <laughs> you for. How do you help them through that process of knowing which flute is for them? Um, I know one of the biggest factors is um, how big your hands are. It, sound, it sounds trivial, but you know, flutes come in all different pitches. So mm-hmm. that's the first limitation. But if you pull that aside, I always ask people, like, what voice do they hear? Like, if you were to sing, what what voice do you want people to hear? And I can usually guide people that way. Or mm-hmm. if they're, you know, like, because this is a vocal tradition, not just instrumental tradition, the, the indigenous flutes have, have um, compositions that go along with the instrument that you sing. I always ask people, like, what key do you sing in? Because you might want a flute that will match your singing voice. Like I tend to sing an E and F for the for the songs that I know because it just fits my voice better. Where for a female singer it might be better an A or a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Um, some people even lower. So that's this, another factor. Uh, but uh, honestly, a lot of people it's the aesthetics that mm-hmm. that draw them in, and and they've already decided because they saw another flute with particular carving. It's like I have to have that. So and speaking <laughs> of that, I mean you've got these beauties still behind you, and I don't know if you want to show me. I feel like you're sitting in a candy store, and we're all just like, <laughs> look what's on the shelf behind him. Whoa! <laughs> like check that one out. Woo! Um, so this is. <laughs> This is the flute that um, was part of uh, one of the recordings that we did. And um, so a backstory, um, Savi and I um, and and Mark and a bunch of other people, we uh, put out a beautiful album. That was earlier this year already. And um, we'd already been playing these tunes. And um, one of the songs called Great Spirit always resonated with me. And it, I would use a flute in G. And I, I have another traditional flute in G, but I'm like, I want, I want my own flute for this song. And coincidentally, on one of my trips up to your house, um, I saw, it was, it was traumatic for me. Like I saw a crane get hit by a car and I'd never had like a connection to an animal. Like there was never one animal that called out to me. And at that very moment, it's just like, boom, this crane just hits me. It's like, no, you need to do something about this. And the, the first thought was, I'm going to make you a flute and I'm going to bring your voice back that way. Mm-hmm. And so the whole trip up and the whole trip back, I, I kind of visualize how, how do I recreate it? And that's, that's basically what this flute is here. This one and, is so um, special to me just because that whole story you just told, yeah. I remember that night well you arrived here and that experience was still very fresh for you and you shared with everyone who was here for music that night that that had happened and I felt like the whole night that we made music together that night it was like the spirit of Crane was right with you and working with you and then yeah you told I mean you started working on it immediately it oh that like, night I think it was like yeah. one in the morning and um I already kind of set about in my head and even the colors for it are like deliberate like I literally just would like meditate on it and this turquoise is a result of me just seeing like a this brilliant orange sunset with like turquoise blobs mm. and the crane was like in front of it. I could just see this vision in my head. 
and that's how turquoise became like the dominant color for the beadwork that so, I did yeah. on it. Just so everyone knows, so Ted's having these visions, and then he creates these, the beading that's on there, he designs all of that. He does all of the beadwork, the, yeah, the leather cool. work, uh, the yeah. painting, the design, everything. I mean, there's so, so Hundreds beautiful. and hundreds of tiny little beads. And yeah. I, again, though, this is like creative me. That's why I did the beadwork, because I could see it in my head. And I'm like, I have to do this, because I'm the only one that can produce this because I can't explain to people well what I want them to make if I wanted someone to do the beadwork. So I fortunately have a friend that's really good at teaching it and she helped me get started in my initial steps and wow. I just started making my own patterns. And so all my personal flutes have this beadwork on it. It's kind of like my, I just dream it almost like Aboriginal artists have a, have a dreaming for their paintings that they do. I have like some traditional didgeridoos in the, or yidiki in the corner that have that artwork. And that's how they do it. They, they dream the art and that's how my beadwork and my flutes are. Um, wow. You just let it flow. Don't, don't try to push it. <laughs> so it, Ted, I know we're going to play just a little clip in a sec from Great Spirit, just the beginning. Um, and that'll, what you'll hear is the flute that Ted was just showing us. So we'll go ahead and play that now. And that is the amazing crane flute that Ted created by way of a vision on his way here to play music one night, went home, built it, and just a couple weeks later had it ready for its debut as we shared our Great Spirit song at Midwest Yoga Kirtan Fest. Yeah, so the music, <laughs> we did four tracks together, and um, our band name is called Brilliant Bliss. So you can find that at brilliantbliss.bandcamp.com. That's where you'll find all of our music and on Spotify and Pandora and all those other fun streaming platforms. So, Ted, thank you so much for, oh, for being our friend <laughs> <laughs> and for making music with us. And, oh, and for this tonight, we've been wanting to do this for such a long time sitting down with you and allowing other people to know some of these amazing stories about your creativity, um, how that flows through you, the beautiful flutes that you make. Oh my gosh. Um, I think that you want to be able to share a little bit more with us about the actual making process. So I think that would be good. And also you've got I know everyone who's here is still seeing instruments that haven't been taken <laughs> off the shelf to be played, including maybe one of those string situations that's back there. <laughs> and so wherever you feel like taking us next, we are here for the journey. And question and answer session is coming up whenever Ted decides this part of the magic carpet kind of comes okay. down. So let me, um, let me pull some stuff out of the foreground here. I'm sitting on the ground. 
Oh, and also, Ted, while you're doing that, we should also mention your website. That's super important. So it's theodorecepplinamusic.com. Is that correct? I'm just theodorecepplina.com. Nope. See? theodorecepplina.com. <laughs> Theodore and then C-E-P-L-I-N-A.com. Theodore Seplina. So, yeah, flute making, I think one of the reasons it appealed to me is it's so simple in concept. You can take it as far as you want, but the, the basic concept is this is literally a sumac branch right here. This is like the oldest flutes are made out of branches. So what you do is you cut the branch and then I just use a blade and I split it in half and then I have two halves. And the objective here is to hollow it out kind of like a piece of bamboo, you know, like a bamboo flute. So I take, um, I take a tool called a gouge, which is almost like a curved blade. And I, and I hollow the, um, the insides out. And then you basically put it back together and you have this hollow tube from which to make a flute. And the um, indigenous flutes, what makes them so special compared to any other flute in the world, um, let me try to take one apart to show you, is they have like a chambered design. Um, so the flute's hollow, but there's actually this, this wall right here that stops the air. And you see there's like two holes. And what, what's essentially happening is I blow into here and the air is coming out of the first hole, it guides it up. And then this little piece, this thing we call the bird, guides the air over the next hole, which is like the sound hole akin to like a side blown flute. So it's basically a way of, of cheating. So you don't have to have a, what we call an embouchure. It basically guides the air for you, kind of like on a recorder. And, and, and that makes the sound. These are the only flutes in the world that use that, are these, these flutes. Um, and so basically, yeah, you have your two little chambers. And um, when I glue it back together, my next step is to put the holes in. And um, in the traditional thinking or way of doing it, it's a ratio. So all my holes are equally spaced. Whereas on a modern flute, um, you'll see they're, they are different. They're not equally spaced. And that's, that's a result of trying to achieve a, a perfect modern tuning. Whereas with the original flutes, whatever skill you ended up with was your scale. Mm -hmm. there, there's common themes, like a lot of them have a, have a similar scale just as a result of the ratio that's used. So when I make the flutes, I, um, I can often just do it with my hands. This is a replica, so it's, it's different. But if I were to make one for myself, I can literally just use my hands and my thumb and different widths of fingers to do the entire geometry of the flute to my, oh, wow. to my body. And I've actually done that for people. I've that's made them flutes based on their hands. Um, I enjoy doing that too. Um, and then the fun gets in the carving. Like I, that's something that my teacher you know, started, um, this is a loon. This is actually my teacher's personal flute. Um, and he always did bird heads and that's kind of what influenced me to do it. I mean, look at the detail, look at his, yeah. the tongue. Yep. And that's, so it's, it's again split. Um, but we carve all this out before we glue it back together. You kind of have to think ahead of time, right. you know, how this reductive process works. Cause once it's glued back together, it's really hard to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, you know, 
got influenced by his design, some of the historical flutes, and I took it in my own direction. Like um, this one, this is the flute I play the most because it matches my singing voice. It's actually made to look like a, a garfish and it's got all these little teeth wow, in it. That is amazing. And Will that's you play all. that one for us? Oh yeah, let me okay. see if I can. Because if you play that one the most, that means you like <laughs> the way this one sounds. Oh, the sound of this play. is, yeah. So, so I beautiful. lots of applause <laughs> from the gallery. Oh my heavens. So, so this flute, beautiful. this is my voice. That's, that's why I'm so attached to this flute. Mm. It took a long time to find one that it was such a match for me. But the song I played is actually an old Meskwaki song and it has words to it. So that melody, they're, they're almost like haikus, the old songs. That's, that's what makes the, the indigenous tradition so cool too, is just the the context of these songs, they give you a little snapshot of history, you know, right. some of them are about courtship. Some of them are honoring people. Some, some of them are hilarious. Like there's one, basically the author or the musician on the flute is, is saying that even if we were the only two people left on the planet on a deserted Island, I still wouldn't, you still wouldn't be the one for me. <laughs> so some of them, some of them are hilarious too. You know, they're not all, because this, these instruments were social, you know, they, they, they were, there was a spiritual aspect, but there also is just a, these were for fun. You know, that's these were so, everybody's instrument. That's so interesting and probably good <laughs> for me to hear because of course, for me, it's all spirit and reverence. Like how could there possibly be a song that was like that? That sounds like, I don't know, a country <laughs> song. <laughs> yeah. And some of them are, you know, the, because a lot of them are love songs and they have that kind of, you know, they have that quality to them. And I, I enjoy that. Um, and I, I found, I found that through Kevin Locke cause he's, he's one of the contemporary players that gathered all these old songs. He, he knows hundreds and hundreds of them, their words, their meaning. Cause he's so familiar. He's a speaker of Lakota, but he knows many other languages too. Wow. And, and that's why he was important in my journey. Cause it opened up that portal of, Oh, it's not just, doodling around too there actually was traditional songs wow amazing so i'm enjoying those stories so much and <laughs> not nearly equally so but almost well maybe more so if i'm honest enjoying the fact that reina has been with us all night yeah she keeps <laughs> <laughs> running around and of you in the gallery can see reina but well she'd be the feline one that's diligently cleaning something at the moment <laughs> yeah 
She's, oh my God. she's the musician in the household. Out she of the might cats. be a little bit of a show stealer, which I think <laughs> is hard. I think it's hard because you're giving us, oh my gosh, so many amazing stories and the music is so beautiful, Ted. I would, we need to do this more and more, I think. I hope you're enjoying it because we oh, are, yeah. right, everybody? Big thumbs up in the gallery. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. So I think just as a cool demo, um, eventually I'm going to work on an album. I'm, I'm getting there slowly, but whenever I, I hear a flute, I always want to play these old flutes. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to eventually work out an album where I use these older style flutes and they won't necessarily have the traditional song format, but I just want to show people like the emotion that these are capable of. And that's Absolutely. the one track that I sent you earlier. Yeah. Should we play um, it? Yeah, so this is a sketch for kind of what I want to what I want to do with with my upcoming album. Okay, everybody, brand new track coming from Ted. It's a couple minutes. Sink in, close your eyes, and enjoy. And that is actually played on the replica of this 100, 120-year-old flute. Wow. So there's so much power in the, on these older style flutes. That's, that's their appeal to me. Like, I just oh love the sound that these give. These are my voice. Wow. There's some comments coming in, Ted. Everybody's <laughs> just really enjoying this journey with you so much tonight. I love and want the loon flute. Who makes that? That was made by my teacher, the late Louis Webster, and that was his personal flute. Um, and I was so fortunate, like, to be with him, you know, through his final days and that he handed that to me. And I was just like eternally grateful. Because um, it was just like the best. Getting that particular flute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I love that instrument because whenever I miss Louis, I just pick up that flute because mm. it just brings me to him. Ted could make oh. one very sad. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. And it, oh, all of Ted's flutes <laughs> that he creates, they do. They have the most beautiful voices. And I love, he's not just a person who makes flutes. Hopefully you're getting that. He puts his whole heart and his whole soul into everything that he creates. These flutes literally come from spirit. He receives these visions and integrates all of what he's learned from his amazing teachers and makes he makes magic 
with his instruments. It's absolutely incredible. Um, so, you know, music, I always say this, I think Ravi Shankar always said that too, is that music is my religion. And, and that's, that's so much the case for me. And to build flutes is just kind of part of the ritual to get to the music and it brings everything full circle. When you, when you build this instrument, you're, you're part of bringing this, this voice to life. It's, it's like such a deep spiritual process for me to, to have that ability. Yeah, that is so amazing. Uh, Grace is chiming in in the chat on the zoom room. She said, this was amazing. Thank you for sharing. Um, so Ted, is there anything else that you would like to share with us before we open up for a question and answer? Um, I'm trying to think. I could, um, if you want me to play a little bit more, I can definitely do that. No, I don't think any of us <laughs> will argue with that. That would yeah. be great. <laughs> um, so I think I'll do Bansuri because it's just such a lovely instrument. This is also a, a flute that I love to play. I, I'm learning all different kinds of flutes like behind me. Um, my quarantine project is studying Bo Bulgarian folkloric music on this instrument called the Kaval. Oh my gosh, so that's I, something I didn't even know. Yeah, I, I had learned it when I lived in Chicago, so now I'm dusting that off. But um, an, another flute that I have a strong grounding in is Bansuri, and that I discovered right after sitar. Um, one year as a Christmas gift, I got a VHS tape of the most famous player of this instrument. And I'm like, whoa, flutes can do this? I, I like freaked out. And um, so to this day, I still love playing this style of flutes because there's fluidity to the way the notes are. Um, and this, this so, flute is very long, Ted. Yeah. Oh, and they, um, there's this one. And then just to give you a size comparison, one of my gurujis invented this instrument, which is called Shank Bansuri. And it's a giant instrument, which basically its purpose is to extend the vocal range of the music that we play. Mm. Um, you know, a, a flute has two octaves, but with this, it gives me another lower octave. It brings, you know, a whole different range. Um, so yeah, I was, I was fortunate to learn from someone that invented this so I could kind of see how it works. See what I mean, everyone? Yeah. This is what happens. I was fortunate. <laughs> yes, he was. And this, this is the instrument that got me into the whole concept of like sound is God, sound is, mm -hmm. is our universe. It was this instrument and Indian classical music. And through, through this instrument, I found my way into the Kirtan community and, and, and found people like you, for example. Yeah, and I you think say the... that you've been fortunate and we are so fortunate, so blessed to know you, to walk this path with you and... Gosh, just be able to witness the gifts that you have. Thanks, Ted. So I'll play a little bit on this because um, I just feel like um, whenever I need to improvise, I, I love doing it on here. So let me get a drone started.
you did. Wow. <laughs> so, so beautiful. Okay. Well, I think it's that time, Ted, even though I know there's so <clears throat> much more that we could do. It just means we have to do this again. <laughs> um, it's time to start getting ready to open up the room for question and answer. Um, thank you everyone who's here with us tonight for this amazing show. This is Inside Creativity. I'm Savi. It's Mark. Again, our website is lovingawareness.org. And Ted's website, very importantly, is theodorecepplina.com. Um, Mark has added the website link into the chat and on Zoom as well as on Facebook, so you can look for that. And Ted, you've got a music page on Facebook too, don't you? Uh, for my flutes, I do. Eventually my music. So my, okay. my goal maybe this year, or I should say this upcoming year, is to finally have an album. It's the thing that the recording process is frustrating because I can play all the instruments that you need on an album and do it all, but I can't do it all at once. And I don't know how to operate recorders and stuff. So all these things are in my head and it's, it's getting the resources to put all these ideas there in a recording. And I think I'm finally getting there where it's going to happen. And, you know, for everyone listening, one of the biggest, best ways that you can help support Ted, I mean, look at this genius that he shared with us tonight. I feel for him knowing that he's got his entire being is filled with creativity that wants to burst forth and he needs the resources in order to help that to shore up and line up. So one of the most amazing ways you could help Ted is to at least share, share his name, share his website, share that pe with people that you know that love instruments and would appreciate this artfulness that he brings to these creations, share and encourage them to buy instruments from Ted to contact him to see what other ways that he can support them and their creativity with music. Because as we support Ted, we win because he makes more of these magical creations to share with us. So please, please, please spread the word. Theodore Saplina, he needs to be in everyone's life. <laughs> You're like a TV set. Everyone needs a flute. No, <laughs> but I, I just, I think as, as a creator, we, we owe it also to, to share the gift. Um, I wouldn't be here without, you know, the people that helped me get here. And every opportunity, I, I like sharing it. I want to know that this will continue. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, we want to help you in every way we can. And that's why I'm glad that we were able to finally do this together. And now that we've done it once, Ted, we can do it again and again. All those <laughs> settings are ready. We're all good. You just bring your genius and, and we will be here to listen and support. So first question is from Laura. She's asking, Ted, could you please walk us through the flute buying process? So first step is I always recommend going to my website because I, I have a gallery of a lot of my instruments there and, and see if, if visually something appeals to you. Um, I always recommend to, I, I usually have a selection of instruments, not for sale, but just different ones that I have in my personal collection that I can play and let you hear. And, and it's just kind of finding that balance of what appeals to you visually and acoustically, or if, if there's like a particular, if you're interested in history, I can always find you a replica that might be from a particular period or culture. Um, there's like so many aspects to it, but I'm always like, we can work on it together. I love that part is um, as an example, um, my most recent flute, 
Uh, he just keeps made pulling it. more things. Yeah. It's like, it's like um, the Wizard of Oz or something. There's. I, I made it because um, its new recipient has a strong connection to the hawk. So I made, I made a red-tailed hawk flute. And what we did is um, we, I, I let her just kind of handle some of the flutes I had to see what fit in the hands well and played them so we could find the right sound. And then, you know, the animal is, is really up to the recipient. You know, I, I tend to only do birds just because that's where the tradition is. But I love, I love pushing them. This is my first hawk. So wow. came into being through that process. <laughs> that's beautiful. Thank you, Laura, for that question. We've got another question from Grace. This is a beautiful question, Ted. Have you ever made a flute to celebrate your grandma and the person she was to help you on your path? I actually, so my grandma, I haven't made one for her yet, but my grandpa passed away in March. And um, so that is how this flute came into existence here. Um, Eric can testify to it here. On the way back home, I'm like, I need to make a flute for my grandpa. It just popped in my head. And so I made an eagle because my very first eagle feather, my grandpa gifted to me. And my grandpa was the one that inspired me to make flutes because he told me his childhood story about making all these whistles and he took me into his workshop and let me play with tools and figure it out. So this, this flute is like my memorial to my grandpa. So whenever I play it or look at it, it makes me think of him and all the good memories. I love being with Ted on some of these journeys. I feel very grateful and honored that sometimes I receive messages like usually I'm on my way to bed and that's when he's visioning <laughs> and he'll send yeah. me a message like this is happening and he sends me pictures with it and I get to see what's happening and I remember um, when you were in the experience of journeying and visioning that special flute for your grandpa into being do you want to play us a few notes yeah I can definitely play this one and so this flute, like I, I needed, I needed a lot of space to grieve because my grandpa is like, like a father figure to me. I mean, he was such an influence in my life. So I, I took my sweet time and made this flute as complicated as possible, just so I could have more time with the creative process. So the beadwork and everything is, is kind of to the next level. But, but the sound, it makes me think of him. It has his voice. Coincidentally, it's, it's crazy. Let me um. Shift a little piece here. And I think that's the cool thing about instruments like these is they can be become like ways to remember people that that are important in your life. Like I have Louis flutes and they make me think of him. I have flutes from some of my other teachers that are gone now and I, I just love having that connection and 
it kind of is, I consider food almost like a ritual object. And that's mm -hmm. a perfect example. You're bringing that ritual of inviting them back into your life. So beautiful. Thank you so, so much, <laughs> Ted. This has been amazing. Does anyone else have a question that they would like to ask before we wrap up for tonight? Jill's got a question. Hi, Ted. Hey there. Hi. Um, I have two short, probably short answer questions, but maybe not. Um, I'm curious if you um, have in your awareness of another instrument that perhaps you might be learning in the future. Um, if there's one that you're thinking, oh, maybe I'll try that <laughs> next. And then I was also um, wondering if you um, have taught anyone else to make flutes. So on the first question, yep, there actually is. Um, so I play fiddle, but there's a wonderful instrument from Norway called Hardingfele, which is a, um, it's like a violin with sympathetic strings, but it has a unique repertoire. And um, I was fortunate to find one I think it's from 1902 or 1904. And my friend, she's a magnificent maker of them, but she's restoring it for me. And so once they get it back, my hope is to um, take lessons with, we have a, fortunately we have a player from Norway that lives over in um, Wauwatosa. So I'll start doing that. Um, wow. But then I'm also like rekindling <laughs> some love for other uh, musical traditions. I studied Irish music for about seven years and um, I left it. I don't know why. I think when I left Chicago, I just kind of lost the social aspect and I'm just like having severe withdrawal. So I plan to kind of get that back in my life and start playing Irish accordion and flute again. And then um, as far as teaching flute making, I haven't found anyone yet, but there's a lot of contemporaries, other flute makers that build, you know, their own style in their own right. And we we share with each other like we share notes and i appreciate that i know um rick in this meeting is one of those makers um and john norris is another maker we just love to share all the info we find because ultimately it's we're creating a library where we can if we do find someone young that wants to pick up this tradition we have the knowledge to share i don't i don't hold it back because it doesn't benefit humanity to just lock this up yeah, absolutely. That is so true. Um, and I think Jill's other question was, do you teach, right, Jill? Did you ask that? Do you do music lessons? No, just the teaching the flute making. So Okay, very good. Yeah, thank okay. you, Ted. Yeah, you're welcome. But when it comes to the learning the indigenous flutes, I do have like very strong words on that. It goes back to the learning the words before you get the instrument. If, if you really want to play the traditional flutes, find the reservation nearest you, find the elders in the community, find the singers and, and learn their songs, write them down, write the, write the words down, learn the meeting, because if we lose the language, we lose the music. And like my, my request out of all the flute players out there that, that want to play these flutes is learn one traditional song from an elder and and document it because mm. if we can do that we'll keep this tradition going that's a beautiful invitation because you can um the flutes are a physical object so we can always recreate these and we'll figure it out you know if we had to but the songs if we lose those they're gone for good mm -hmm. 
And this is the way that they stay alive. Yeah, it's with us. Just invited all of us to do by learning a traditional song and sharing it, and yeah, with us. And and not even, not even just the flute. But if there's any cultural tradition, whether it be music or the arts, if it if it appeals to you, do it because we're custodians of these art forms, and we shouldn't let them die. I mean, we we have globalization, you know, at our fingertips now, and it's a beautiful thing, but it's a very destructive thing too because Mm -hmm. there's a fine line of learning other cultures but not preserving the ones we have eventually they flatten out and instead of having all these vibrant colors you just end up with brown Mm. because it's such a mix so i i've struggled with that a lot i'm always trying to balance like i want to play something in its most traditional form but also i want to mix things up too you do very well at both (laughs) you do there's another question, Ted, if you're okay with one more. It looks like this oh, yeah. might be from a family member. This is from Trina. Yes, she my says, aunt. <laughs> do you have a flute or music that reminds you of your dad? Yeah, I'm actually working on it right now. Um, so I wanted to make a bald eagle flute in remembrance of my dad. I haven't done it yet. Um, but that's going to be a special one. I'm just like waiting for it to happen. You know, my dad was a pivotal figure, too, in this whole thing, because he was the kind of person, he was a creative genius in his own right. He could make anything. And I I think that shed off on me through him. Like, we were the kind of household, you didn't take something somewhere to get fixed. You just fixed it. My my dad would just do it. And, and so... Yeah, I I think about that a lot. And I miss I miss the interactions I had with him. Like as a especially, you know, in my middle age years, like I could only appreciate him so much now, like the the gifts that I could get from him and show him too. Mm-hmm. Gosh. I don't know. This is the part where <laughs> I just want you to play for two more hours. We all lay down on the floor. Oh no, that's a whole different gathering, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> We love those kind, too. Okay, well, I see one more that is more of a direct. Yeah, Laura's like, I'm just going to say this, Ted. Laura will be contacting you (laughs) because she's very interested in talking further about finding which flute is the perfect one for her that will help her sing her voice alive. And I am in full support of that. And yeah, by the way, I don't. Do you remember meeting Laura Ted? She yes. she plays violin, fiddle, like oh, like our other friend, like our other friend Michi. Yeah, yeah. the fiddle and, is it's a dangerous drug to be on. <laughs> I got I got pushed into that instrument. By the way, like oh, it, I I was peer pressured into it. Yeah, I I played in a Cajun band, you know, Cajun accordion, and like everyone's like, "What? You don't you don't play the fiddle?" Like like it's a requirement as a Cajun musician to play it. And so I had, I had to pick it up, but it's so intuitive and, and fiddle is like the ultimate folk instrument because every genre of music around the world, there's even indigenous North American fiddle traditions, like in the Southwest and the Northeastern part of the U S there's fiddle traditions from Northern Wisconsin and lumberjack camps. You can find it in like the mountains of Ukraine. It's like this universal instrument. That's what's so cool about it. Yeah. Hence, know. hence the, the, Hardingfeller, the Norwegian the instrument, that's their fiddle. <laughs> it sounds to me like you just said that's like the Hardingfeller. Yeah, that's that's how they pronounce <laughs> it because it's from um, it's from the Harding Fjord. It, the, we say Hardanger, 
but it's from that part of Norway. Uh-huh. And he's a fella from there. So that's why yep. that's what the yep. name of the <laughs> Named after him. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, like I said, I know that we could go on and on, but for tonight, I suppose we have to land the magic carpet until the next time. But I think we should do this again, right? What do you think, Ted? Could you oh, do yeah. it again? I'd, yeah, I'd love to do Maybe we can do a performance or something like that. That would be great. And I see some stringed beauties behind you that we didn't even come close to tonight. And yeah. we could do a whole Cajun deal and you could just like go f- through the 50 <laughs> concertinas that you have. Yeah, accordions <laughs> from around the world. Yeah. He's got one of his accordions on. Yeah. Oh, he does? Yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> All and right, then, well, that was a preview for the next yeah, time we're together. And then eventually I can bust out. This is a cool instrument called um, Tarhu, and it's it's an instrument without a tradition. That's why I love it. It's it's an amalgamation of all sorts of instruments from other cultures, so it's kind of a, Mark, a Mark cool thing. Mark is whispering to me, Teddy, saying, he could play it a little. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see if I can get the microphone to pick it up here. It's picking it up. Is it? Yep. Let me find a bow. Please. So this, this instrument... Kind of a hybrid of an instrument from Crete, an instrument from Bulgaria, and an instrument from India. And then it kind of is part cello, too. And it was invented by a guy in Australia. Um, but I just like it because it, it has no tradition. So I, I can do whatever I want. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. I don't know if that's picking up. Yes. has been such a treat and it can't be the last time we have ted with us absolutely amazing inside creativity i mean how much fun can it get to go down a rabbit hole like this and to be able to discover all of these magical treasures that live within these creative hearts love to all of you and special love also to all of you who are joining us for the first time tonight um those of you that are friends and family of ted's that are meeting mark and i for the first time Thank you so much for being here. This has been literally heaven, Ted. Thank you. We will return. This is Inside Creativity. I'm Savi. And I'm Mark. <laughs> and we will see you again soon. 
stay in the vibe of creativity and let it flow. <laughs>